Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for that good report. Uh, thank you for that praise, Heavenly Father, that we can give to you. Because, uh, God, you are true to your word. You are true to who you are. And you do provide for your children, Heavenly Father. You are the one who takes care of us. And, Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you for that. We praise you for our salvation, Heavenly Father. Uh, thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. Thank you that we have a place reserved in heaven for us individuals, Heavenly Father. Now, Lord, may your Holy Spirit truly be our teachers. We continue in this uh, lesson from First Peter. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, turn, if you would please, to the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, uh, verse 13. One thirteen. All right. Uh, the first word there in in your version of the Bible is what? Therefore, therefore, therefore. <coughs> Peter's saying therefore. In other words, because of what he has just communicated. Peter now begins describing the practical theology or the application. Everything up to this point has really been, you would say, theology. It's about God. It's about salvation. Now what he's going to do is going to say, because of theology, because of the truth that we get from God, because of all of that, now we're going to start talking, talking practically. We're going to start talking application. And actually, it's going to be the remainder of the letter. The first part, verses 1 through 12, the theology about our salvation and everything that has to do with it. And then the remainder of the letter is going to be because of your salvation. Here is how you're going to operate. Here's what you're going to do in the midst of persecution. And uh, as I look at that and I read what Peter has to say throughout the letter, throughout the letter, uh, it's interesting to me to see that Peter does not say. What doesn't he say? Now, he's writing to people who are experiencing persecution and it's probably going to get worse. What does he not say? Well, first of all, I notice he does not tell his readers how to avoid or get out of persecution. doesn't tell them that. He does not tell his readers how to change the government or the laws to avoid the persecution. He does not tell his readers how to take revenge on his persecutors, how to turn the tables on them. Doesn't do any of that. Uh, secondly, what he does do, what Peter does tell them, is to live their lives as examples of children of God, examples to the world and the persecutors. So he doesn't tell them, he doesn't focus on the persecution in his letter. What he does is he focuses on their walk with God. That's what they be, need to be concerned about. Their response needs to be the response to their salvation, not response to the persecution. The, the lives that they are to live have little to do with the persecution. He doesn't talk a whole lot about the persecution. He mentions it every once in a while, but he doesn't talk a lot about it. But their lives that they have to, to live has little to do with persecution. It has everything to do with their sanctification. When you read uh, 
if you uh, did not read the first part, the first 12 verses, and just start reading from 13 on, you would think you were reading one of Paul's letters to the churches that talks about how to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, sanctification, if you will. He's telling us in his letter, do not let persecution slow you down or slow down your sanctification or don't let it hinder your walk with God. Yes, Ashton. Verse 7, chapter 1. Your uh, trial of your faith being much more precious than gold, that, that, that is hard for me, if I were in, in, in a persecuted country, it would be hard for me to, to understand that, to see that, that it's more precious than gold. Uh, you're right. It's hard for us to see that, but from what I understand, and all my reading and everything, the people in those countries going through it, they do understand. They do understand how precious it is because they see it from a whole different light because they are practicing what Peter is teaching in his first letter here. So that was, that's, a, that's a good point there, Ashton. Now, much of what Peter is going to say in, in this letter pertains to those who are persecuted, but it also pertains to people who are not persecuted. It's a good letter for Christians, even if you're not being persecuted. It's a good letter on living your life in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In, in other words, all of the commands of Christ and the teachings of the apostles are just as applicable to those who are being persecuted as it is to those who are not being persecuted. In other words, I can put it a different way. Uh, the Lord did not give us a different set of rules for persecuted versus non-persecuted. He didn't say, persecuted Christians live this way. Non-persecuted Christians live this way. No, no two sets of rules. One set of rules. Question. Yes. How could you explain that to what's happening in Israel? You said that the Israelis should say, well, we should treat these people kindly because they're... Uh, we're being persecuted, but uh, we, we're just going to let that go. Uh, Are you talking about Christians being persecuted? I'm talking about anybody being persecuted. Well, Peter is writing specifically to Christians being persecuted. This letter would not apply to non-Christians. There's no way in the world they could live it. Why? Peter starts out his letter, I am writing to people who have an inheritance waiting for them in heaven. That's who he's writing to. Okay, so he is writing to believers, to Christians. I would not try to teach this to a non-Christian, all right? But definitely it applies to, to all Christians, all Christians. Now, there are some Jewish people who are Christians, okay, over in Israel. And yeah, they're suffering. They're suffering, uh, but there's also Christians in Saudi Arabia who are suffering, and North Korea who are suffering, in China who are suffering, in Russia who are suffering. It's all over the world. Even in this country, you're going to find some Christians who are being persecuted. It's all over the world. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't define it or explain it any different in Israel than I would in North Korea. Yeah, but the, the promises of the Old Testament to his people 
are still in effect. And he will vindicate, he will watch it for, he will care for his people because if he, if, if he does not, if he does not, then the Old Testament is... What I don't want to do is get on the rabbit trail of Israel. Okay. Well, I will. It's easy. It's easy for me to jump onto it. Okay. It's easy for me to jump onto it. All right. You're right. The promises to Israel, and what you got to look at the promises to Israel. When those promises are going to be given to Israel, that's that's the key. That's the key. And as Pastor Farrell said not too long ago, one of the promises to Israel is, if you don't obey me, you are going to be. What? That's right. That's right. That's right. So now we got to get off that one because, all right, don't. You guys, I know you guys like to get me hooked. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to just show you some things in the letter of Peter, just to give you the idea where Peter is going to be taking us as far as what do you do if you're among the the persecuted Christians, all right? Uh, verse 13 starts out with, prepare your minds. What I'm going to show you is, Peter doesn't tell you a whole lot different than you're going to find out in the rest of the New Testament and some of the Old Testament. There's not going to be a, a new secrets here because you're persecuted. This is, I'm going to use the verbiage, and it's not very good. This is the same old stuff. This is the same stuff that Paul would teach to, to um, churches in Asia, all right? For instance, verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for actions. Prepare your minds. Can you think of any other writings in the New Testament where it talks about preparing your mind? Romans 12. Romans 12. What, 1 and 2? Yeah. And how did those verses go? Challenge y'all. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right, by, by the renewing of your mind. So what Peter's teaching here is not something different than you're going to find in the New Testament. All right, Ephesians 4.23 talks about um, putting off the old self and putting on the new self with the renewing of the mind, with the renewing of the mind. Look at verse 22 here, 1 Peter chapter 1. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. A sincere love of the brethren. Wow, that's new, Peter. Haven't heard that before by Paul or anybody, or have we? Where, where in the New Testament do you get a lot more teaching on love of the brethren? First John. First John chapter 4, that's right. First John chapter 4. There's a whole chapter on it. Peter's going to mention it quite a few times. All right? Now, now here you go. Brethren, I have brethren who are going being persecuted. All right? Peter's emphasizing to me I better be having a really good love of the brethren because I can help them during their time of persecution. Look at chapter 2, verse 2 of of 1 Peter. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. Are you going to get that anywhere else in the New Testament? Long for the milk of the word, long for the word of God? What did Jesus say in Matthew 4.4? Man shall not live... But by what? The word of God. Every word that proceeds. That's right. The word of God. So, P- 
Peter, I'm sorry, Peter, that's not a new teaching right there. You're teaching me what's already been taught in the, in the Bible. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Oh, that's a new one, isn't it? All right. Submit ourselves to the government. Anywhere else in the New Testament? Romans, okay. And you're going to see it in Ephesians and Colossians 2. Okay, submitting. Um, honoring our government authorities. Chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Is that anywhere else in the New Testament? Yeah. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, that's right. So you're going to find that in other places in the New Testament. Uh, look at chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Verses um, 1 through 7 talks about husband-wise relationships. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Is that new? Where else do you find that? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, that's right. Look at chapter 4, 1 through 11. Talks about loving one another. Whoa, that's unique. Where'd you cut that from, Peter? Where else do you find that in the, in the New Testament? You're going to find it all over the New Testament, okay? Start with Christ and his teaching. And then get into Paul's teachings too. And then chapter 5, verse 2. Talking about elders shepherding the flock of God. And how they do that. You're going to find that anywhere else in the New Testament. Yeah, you're going to find it in, in Paul's letters, aren't you? Okay? And what I'm trying to show you is that what Peter is giving us is not all these unique ideas or unique truths to just people being persecuted. What we find out is what Peter teaches us. If you're going through persecution, live the life that you already should be living. That's, that's a simple way to put it. Persecution does not change Christ's commands for us. It doesn't change the principles of godly Christian living. And that's important for Peter to teach because those going through persecution might think it's the time that, well, this is an exception to the rule. Jesus said, love your enemies. Now's a good chance for me to hate my enemies. All right? So Peter is trying to teach us that it doesn't change because you're being persecuted. Persecution is not the opportunity to be excused from living the Christian life. Now, Persecution may bring temptation to feel like we have a free pass from some admonitions of the Christian life. Um, people going through persecution may think, well, at, uh, because it's persecution, uh, I can think differently. Maybe I can get angry. Maybe I can hate. Uh, all these different things. Um, not when you read through First Peter. With him, it's just the opposite. When, when being persecuted... Our lives lived in front of the world need to demonstrate more than ever, probably more than ever, that we are children of God, saved by the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Holy Spirit, living in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should get from, from 1 Peter. Now, some of his admonitions actually are going to be more important among persecuted believers because of the opportunities, uh, such as some believers are going to be thrown in prison. 
Uh, in prison, you didn't, there in those days, you didn't get three meals a day. The meals you got in prison was what your relatives brought to you, what your family brought to you, okay? Um, there's going to be those who are persecuted and die from the persecution. And what's that going to leave? That could leave some widows and some orphans. More opportunities to love the brethren. So uh, there are some instances where uh, some of the teachings, I think, in First Peter uh, could be even more applicable than usual, uh, as we would see in the teaching of the Bible. I asked the, the question a few weeks ago, can we be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good? So heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. Now, I, I made up that question, all right? I made up that question. It's not a biblical question. I got, to, I got to tell you, okay? But it leads me to some biblical thinking. Because I think it's on the contrary. What Peter is teaching us. Being heavenly minded. And I define that as verses 1 through 12. Being heavenly minded. Knowing about our election. Knowing that God chose us for salvation. Knowing about our great salvation. Knowing about our inheritance. Thinking on our inheritance. Dwelling on our inheritance. Where are we going to be a hundred years from now? And the joy that we have from our salvation. And an understanding of all the other beings involved in salvation. The Old Testament prophets we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit involved in it. The New Testament apostles who started the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we carry on today. The angels even looking at salvation. Being heavenly minded, looking at all that is what enables us to do earthly good, folks. Dwelling on the problems on the earth does not enable you to do earthly good. But having a heavenly mindset. The transforming experience of salvation and its hope of future glory should be the driving force in our duty to Christ, especially during persecution. If we follow the theology, we will be able to not just withstand persecution, but even glorify God in times of persecution. And it has to do with the fact that we don't really respond to the persecution, but as Peter's going to teach us here, we, our response should be to our salvation. And he describes a believer's response of hope, holiness, and honor. Let me read for you verses 13 through 17. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Notice how he said, fix your hope. Fix your hope. Fix your hope on what? The end of problems in this life? Fix your hope on a better world? Fix your hope on the end of persecution of Christ's church? No, fix your hope on the grace to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's when Jesus comes again, when he raptures the church, followed by them coming in glory with him to his kingdom. 
we receive more grace in. And, and what is that more grace? It's our inheritance. Even our eternal future is given to us by God's grace. Just as we have been saved from sin's penalty by God's grace and saved from sin's power by God's grace, we are saved from sin's presence by God's grace. We do not live our lives here earning our place in heaven in the same way we cannot do something to lose our inheritance. Peter is reminding us of the therefore of our inheritance. Notice it is not our hope in our inheritance and hope in something else. You can fill in the blank there with anything, all right? Um, it is hope. It is hope hope in the grace to be brought to us. And that's the idea of having a confidence, of being convinced. If you will, you're all in on this. Notice he says completely fix your hope. Completely. How do we fix our hope completely on that grace? Well, he tells us, prepare our minds and keep sober in spirit. Prepare your minds. Uh, that's the idea of girding up, uh, like a soldier who, who is wearing a robe and he's getting ready to go in battle, and he pulls the robe up, robe up, and he puts a belt around it to hold it up. That's girding up his um, and preparing for battle. Well, we're to do the it's the idea of tying something down. It's the idea of getting it under control. Um, so we are to prepare our minds. And what does it mean by that? Mean it means to Tie up the loose ends of your lives. Discipline your thoughts. It takes us back to Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. Live according to biblical priorities. Remember Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. It's the idea of disentangling yourself from the world's sinful hindrances like we see in Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is before us. Live a righteous and godly life with your mind set on heaven. Uh, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, Set your minds, set your minds on the things, what, that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, he could have just as easily said, our hearts. He could have said, instead of minds, set your hearts. It's the idea of... <clears throat> what we put in them, what we think about most, what we meditate on, everything associated to what we take in. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.14, Stand firm, therefore, having belted or girded. It's the same um, idea there. Your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, in James 4.7, we find, Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit, therefore, to God. <clears throat> Peter also reminds us to 
keep sober in spirit. Literally, it means do not become intoxicated or lose control of thought or action. Uh, it's the idea of being under self-control. Uh, metaphorically, it's do not lose spiritual control by participating um, upon the world system or uh, to participating in dependence upon the world system. It's the idea of having clarity of mind, the idea of spiritual disciplines, priorities, being under the spirit's control. Do not be intoxicated by the world's allurements, desires of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. To our salvation, we should respond with the hope of our inheritance. We should also respond with holiness, holy living. Back up in First Peter here, we read, As obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Be holy. The example, the standard, the measurement is what? What is the standard or the, me the, the measurement of holiness and our example? What is it? That's right. It's God himself. That's the standard. The Apostle John exhibits the same train of thought in 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. See how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and in fact we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, okay, that's the revelation of Jesus Christ, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 48, Therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's the standard. And this, uh, this is echoing, of course, uh, from Leviticus in the Old Testament. Chapter 11, verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, because I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. So you shall be holy, because I am holy. God's standard for those who would follow him has always been holiness. Pastor Brian has been showing us in Romans 7 that the law could not make them holy. Actually, it showed them how far they were from what? From holiness. Now, there's a positive aspect here and the negative aspect. The positive is as obedient children. You know, obedience characterizes every true child of God and it's the in inevitable result of salvation. Non-Christians are called sons of disobedience in Ephesians 2.2. Because we are children of God with our inheritance, including our rewards waiting for us, we want to be obedient. 
are the negative aspect that Peter gives here, uh, what is not being holy. All right, what is not being holy is to be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. Uh, conformed means shaped by or, or fashioned after. Those are lusts of what the eyes want, what the flesh wants, the pride of what we have done. For believers before salvation, they were done in ignorance. But now we know better. Regeneration creates a new life in us, not just new desires, but the power to live in obedience. The main reason for God's people to live in holiness has always been the relationship with God. And ours is an eternal relationship. Paul brings all these truths together in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, where he writes, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, <coughs> excuse me, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So our response to our great salvation is hope and holiness and honor. And we're going to pick up on that next week.